one. Well, welcome everybody to another uh, contemplation from the Contemplating Christian. And today we are going to be talking about Martin Lloyd-Jones a little bit. So he was a, a Scottish Presbyterian, or uh, I believe that's right, uh, minister uh, in the uh, early 1900s. And he wrote a ton, was a great preacher, um, very influential preacher. And he has basically sermons throughout the book of 1 John. And he's got just a, a big volume of sermons that come from uh, the epistle, the first epistle to to John from scripture. And in there, he has a section where he talks about mysticism. And Samuel and I, we read this recently, uh, kind of in a study group, and it just kind of captivated us of, wow, there's some really good insights here about what mysticism is and how it relates to the modern day and how Christians should think about our experience versus uh, our experience with emotion and objective truth in God's word. How should we think about all those things? And I think it's just a super helpful thing to think about basically what is mysticism is there a good is there goodness to mysticism is there a christian mysticism uh, or is it all bad what are the characteristics of a good or bad mysticism things like that how do we really really the question is how do we have fellowship with god that's really the question that we want to answer how do we have fellowship with the triune god how does that happen is it primarily through our feelings or is it something more objective than that? So that's what we're going to talk mm -hmm. about today. And I guess I just want to kind of start by answering, maybe just addressing the question, throwing it around. How do we experience or have fellowship with God? What yeah. do you think, Samuel? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so mysticism. Mm -hmm. um, first, first thing, that would be like... Uh, the mystics of old having some type of spiritual experience. That's kind of what we're talking about here. So how, how is it that one is to have that type of spiritual experience? Um, so the, his, his sermons on first John, they talk a lot about knowing God. Uh, and so that's why mysticism eventually came up, but how would we know God? I would say uh, a couple things. Um, first thing I would say through his word, through the teachings of uh, of the church, anything like that is solid. Um, the problem today that comes up is people constantly try and accomplish it through feeling. That's that's kind of what he's addressing, and and what will briefly mention. So a lot of people are like, "Oh, I really feel God today." Well, I mean, let's stop for a minute and just ask what what exactly does that mean? Like you feel God today, like um. It's a tingling sensation in your fingers or something like that. Um, right. It's really, really difficult to understand what that that means. So I would say it comes through knowing God more through his revelation, <clears throat> not necessarily through feeling. I mean, you can definitely have certain types of feelings, but the problem with that is the spiritual realm isn't the bodily senses. So if we like have a feeling in, in our stomach, it's not necessarily a spiritual thing. It might also just be, we have a feeling in our stomach. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's what I would initially say for this topic on mysticism. Yeah. I think just diving right into it, I think a really helpful way to think before we dig into all these topics of what mysticism is, the role of emotions, things like that. 
I think a really helpful way to talk, and uh, I think both Sam and I could agree with this, um, is actually comes from kind of the Reformed tradition, Puritans and John Owen. He talks about union and communion with Christ. So a good way to think about your relationship with God is in these two ways, in your union with Christ and your communion with Christ. So union with Christ happens when the Holy Spirit unites you to Christ by faith. So we believe that 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 God saves us, the salvation is of the Lord. When somebody believes, it's because the Holy Spirit has done a work in that person, has created faith in that person, and has united them to Christ. And so that's that's a fixed thing. But then the communion with Christ, our actual, our experience of it comes into this now, our communion with him, that is an ongoing thing on a daily basis. That happens through the spiritual disciplines, the means of grace. Mm-hmm. Um, that's through reading scripture, through praying, through attending church, being with the fellowship of believers, uh, partaking in the sacraments, things like that. That's that's what fosters our communion with Christ. And I think that's a really mm-hmm. helpful grid just to start to think about our walk with God. And something mm-hmm. Lloyd Jones would have would have held to himself is this distinction between our union and communion with Christ. Any thoughts on that, Samuel? Any disagreement? Uh, the spiritual disciplines I would emphasize here. The those are the means by which we would experience God or have like some type of mystical experience. So we're talking about prayer, fasting, silence and solitude, contemplation, uh, uh, meditation, scripture reading, any 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 of them, all of them. Um, we could also say through through the sacraments as well. So I would say those are the number one ways we can experience some type of mysticism. And if we if we realize it, it's not uh, it's not necessarily connected to uh, feeling all the time. Um, it is connected to tangible things that we that we have. Um, so if we said the sacraments, those are tangible things that we that we have. If we said reading the Word of God, we we would have uh, a Bible. That's a that's a tangible thing that we can think about, meditate on, and search for for some type of mystical experience it's it's not it's not just random it's not found within myself it's me finding something without myself uh outside of myself so right that's one thing i would emphasize there the spiritual disciplines so he then lloyd jones in the chapter kind of coming off that distinguishes between the evangelical approach and the mystical approach now Mm -hmm. Uh, he's using those words to mean specific things in this chapter that don't maybe map on directly to our thinking of those words today. But just the evangelical approach uh, to this whole topic or the Christian walk in general, how do we experience God is kind of what we've been talking about. Uh, this idea of we seek God through these external means. So we, we, we experience God and have fellowship with God through his word, through uh, church and the life of the church and the mystic seeks to experience God inwardly primarily mm-hmm. and finds the source of the fellowship with God in terms of an internal gaze or an introspective look. And what we want to do now is kind of balance out what is the role of that? If any, is there a role for this sort of inward look or gaze? Is that biblical at all? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are, do our feelings and our emotions have any place in the Christian life or is it all just, just read your Bible? 
is there any place for, you know, I think of Romans eight says, uh, the Holy spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. Now, whatever you think about that verse, it seems to actually imply that there's this inward thing that we feel that seems to be a feeling. Um, we can't like objectively point to that and say that happened in that person's life. That's kind of hard to do. Yeah. And so the Bible seems to have some place for that. And now we've got to think, how do we think about that? Well, mm -hmm. um, so we're seeking a balance. And I think throughout the Christian tradition, you could me speak to this as well, Samuel, this idea of there have been Christian mystics. That's been a whole sort of part of the Christian tradition. People that have sought to do both of these things. They've sought to uh, objectively experience God in the means of grace and the spiritual disciplines. And then also there's this vibrancy in their life with God internally. So I think about mm. Bernard of Clair Bernard of Clairvaux in the medieval period, uh, the Wesleys and starting the Methodist tradition, many, mm. many more. But those are the, the couple that uh, Lloyd Jones cites as Christian mystics. I think of like A.W. Tozer, uh, more of a modern day example. Yeah. Yeah. So, For for mystics, a lot of people think um, just like some spiritual person that's uh, out there not necessarily adhering to a specific religion. But yeah, there are Christian Christian mystics, and we uh, and we can definitely distinguish between how how those work. But um, I want to talk more on the the feelings versus the intellect uh, mm -hmm. thing. It is it is a balance. Um, mm -hmm. It has to be a little bit of both. And I say this for a couple of reasons. I'll give a specific example of an individual, but then also just the uh, the history of of the church. If you go through the history of the church, you see kind of like a swaying back and forth, uh, uh, a teetering. Mm -hmm. And it's basically at some points in church history, you'll have these people focusing on mysticism and feeling and really um, trying to get spiritual with God, mm -hmm. and they won't focus on the intellect. But then at other points, it just swings the other way uh, on the pendulum. And you get these people who are extremely intelligent and do nothing with like spirituality and just focus on like systematizing everything. Mm -hmm. And it's usually found somewhere in the middle. Mm -hmm. And the specific example I would like to give is actually Thomas Aquinas. Um, he He's a lot of the time seen as like just the intellectual type over here um and that he just like systematized the the faith and that's it well he did do that but that's not it he's actually believe it or not seen as a mystic mainly because he had mystical experiences and when he was uh when he was studying and looking into this stuff he, he would have um experiences uh, like for example one one reason he put down his pen is because he had a revelation too great to uh write down but then another thing is he would like sit at uh, he would sit at the altar, resting his head against the altar, like begging God for some type of revelation or something like that. Um, so, I mean, he was mystical. He sought for these experiences, but he was also like extremely intelligent. Right. Right. Yeah. So is that really interesting um, thing where throughout Christian history, we've seen that there hasn't always been this sharp separation between people that use their heads the smart Christians and then people that just feel stuff and raise their hands and worship and things like that. There, there's been mm -hmm. uh, in the past, there's been rational mystics. You could say I've heard Anselm St. Anselm described as a rational mystic, somebody mm -hmm. that came up with 
an argument for the existence of God in prayer. Mm. And so that's that's sort of a we we, we really like that. Our channel is called the Contemplating Christian. That sort of contemplative tradition that that is that exists throughout church history. Mm-hmm. And this idea of contemplation, it really means I've heard uh, Hans Borsma define um, define contemplation as the alignment of the human mind with the being of God, the mm. alignment of the, of the human mind with the being of God. And in that sense, this is something that when we're reading like a deep theology textbook or something, and that might seem like dry, quote unquote, it really shouldn't be. When we are reading these deep truths about God, that should awake in us deep emotional experiences, deep worshipful, prayerful experiences, because we're reading mm. deep truths about God. Like we shouldn't try to separate our intellectual and our quote unquote spiritual life. Um, the the rich spiritual life should include a, a vibrant, vibrant emotions, a vibrant uh, like working intellect that's actually mm-hmm. thinking hard things. Um, and we see that all throughout the Christian tradition, like the best, it seems like the best of the best seem to have both in the Christian tradition. Mm. Yeah. C.S. Lewis. Um, well, in the Christian tradition, man, I kind of just lost what I was going to say right there, man. It had <laughs> something to do with C.S. Lewis, but he Usually said, it does. yeah, <laughs> he, he said something about spirituality but anyway um i'll I'll just go to my other thing that i was going to say maybe i'll remember the thing with c.s lewis i started talking and it just went away uh gregory of nazianzus or like basil the uh what we call the cappadocian fathers i know they had a a serious struggle with the intellectual life and the pastoral life and like this these um the this the struggle between how much should i apply my intellect how much should i be like uh like pastoring people and having this uh, Christian experience that's that's lived out, um, I mean, so so we see them, or we see like these these people struggle constantly throughout Christian history, and I think that's what we should also do as Christians. We should ha- we should have that struggle. Um, so, for example, if you do find some type of theology book dry and boring, as Will was saying, well. Maybe, maybe you shouldn't. Maybe that's something you need to struggle with. Try, try and learn more. We, we have to balance the intellectual life and the mystical mm-hmm. life somehow. We have to balance it. We can't just forget about one. Right. All right. They are interconnected. Um, yeah. We, we would say uh, contemplation is reorienting the mind towards mm-hmm. God's being. Um, and in a sense, that's also what prayer does. So when people are praying and having these spiritual experiences, people, people are trying to like constantly get something out of God. Like I want this spiritual experience. I want God to do this for me or give me some type of vision or, you know, mm-hmm. what, what, what people usually call the charismatic gifts or something. They, they want those type of experiences, but yeah, um, we don't, that's not necessarily how prayer works actually in the, in the Bible, in the old Testament, there are certain times where prayer is actually a uh it's not something like you're asking god for it's more it's more passive um mm-hmm. and something that is that is happening to you so you pray in order for your mind or soul to be changed or mm-hmm. reoriented realigned recalibrated right. however you want to put it right and so really 
this balance between head and the heart is kind of what we're getting at or mm -hmm. intellect and feelings. And we really believe that there has to be a balance there. We're told to love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Mm -hmm. And that includes everything that <laughs> we're supposed to love God with our emotions. Uh, I think that there are tons, tons of Christians that have a intellectual faith and nothing more. Uh, then there are ton of, tons of Christians that have emotional experiences and they have, they don't know the God that they're worshiping. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I've heard it said, you can't love what you don't know. And so the more we probe into who God is, who is this mm -hmm. God that we worship, learning more about him, that should foster and positively influence our worship and our feelings and our, um, sort of our internal awareness of God, they, they should positively influence each other. And I think the right way to think about it as a Christian is we want to seek, uh, experience that's tethered to scripture. We want to seek experience that is tethered to the word of God and tethered to scripture. So we don't want to forsake experience or mysticism or emotions. Um, but we want to pursue those things actually, but have them be tethered and grounded and checked by scripture. I think that's a good way to look at it. Mm -hmm. I think of like, um, how Mormons will talk about their walk with God and they will talk about the the reason that they're Mormon is because God gave them a feeling that Mormonism was true, that the book of Mormon was correct. And they base their religion off of this internal feeling. Yeah. That's a form of mysticism, I think. And I think a lot of Christians go about their Christian life that way. Now mm -hmm. I would say that that is a, um, that's an experientialism that's untethered from scripture. And we should be like the Bereans in Acts 17 that are commended, uh, in scripture, they're commended by Paul. They're, they're considered more noble, the Jews in Berea, because they searched the scriptures to test what Paul was saying. And there's this assumption that we have as the, the ability as creatures to actually search the scriptures and see what they say and see if it lines up with uh, mm -hmm. what an apostle is saying. Um, so we got to be tethered to God's word. Yeah, yeah, we do. Um, especially when we're when we're meditating and seeking that that experience. Mm -hmm. We should uh we should talk a little bit about like those those eastern mystics and what people usually mm -hmm. think of of mysticism with like um I don't know, Buddhism or Hinduism or or those kind of mystics cuz they they are a bit different uh on how they they practice their meditation and and contemplation and stuff like that. So right. um how about you expand on that a little bit and then we can kind of talk about it. Yeah, we see that. I think if you want to be like uh, super simplistic about it, you could make a kind of a split between Eastern ways of thinking and Western ways of thinking. Mm -hmm. And that inf that influences religion and it influences Christianity because there are Christians in the East. There are Eastern mm -hmm. Christians. Uh, there's Eastern Orthodoxy. And so it's interesting to think about the difference between the two and how they just think. There are different worldviews going on. There's different assumptions between East and West. And so in the East, you have more of a tendency, I think, towards mysticism. Uh, and this bleeds into Eastern Christianity, Eastern Orthodoxy. Mm -hmm. There is more of a space for mystical experience, contemplation, and less of a, an affinity towards like dogmatic theology, where in the West, there's much more of that. Um, and so it's interesting to think about that. But mm -hmm. I think certainly you can, there, there are certain types, not all perhaps, but certain types of Eastern meditation, where the goal is to empty one's mind of, tr of, of anything, to empty one's mind of thoughts. 
in I think like in, in Buddhist practices, the, the meditative practice is to, to try to empty one's mind as much as possible so as to sort of disattach from the world. And in scripture, we see in Psalm 1, the blessed man meditates on the law of the Lord day and night. Mm. So how does Christian meditation, if we're commanded to meditate, how does that differ than that? Just sitting mm -hmm. and humming, like humming in a crouched position or something. Mm -hmm. And I think the difference is Christians meditate on something. They meditate on God's word. They meditate on the truths of the faith. Mm. And that is really the difference. Uh, is one emptying their mind or is one filling their mind with truth and meditating upon that and memorizing it and contemplating it? Mm. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to like Eastern practices like that, I would say if it's emptying your mind, uh, yeah, we should stay away from it. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't like broad brush it though. So here's a qualification. Um, I want to broad brush it and say all of their meditation is just emptying the mind. There is that practice, but they also meditate on actual things. So they, they have something called Zen koans uh, that they meditate on. They also have obviously like the teachings of the Buddha or, or whoever they, uh, get their teachings from those are the things that they can meditate on but there is this idea of kind of like emptying yourself and um being filled with with zen uh or or something like that so i will i will say that it isn't just all get rid of everything in in your mind and don't think about a single thing but um sometimes it's what they are meditating on uh that right. is the big difference they they would be meditating on some different type of teaching that isn't Christian. Yeah. Um, and some of it might line up with Christianity, but uh, some of it doesn't. That's the thing. Some of it doesn't. All right. So that that's my qualification that I'll add with, with that Eastern stuff. Totally. Fair point. I want to mm -hmm. accurately, you know, represent any other religious tradition. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think this Lloyd Jones quote really gets at a lot of what we've been talking about. It's a great summary. It says, I think we can put it like this. The danger of mysticism is to concentrate so much on the Lord's work in us that it forgets the Lord's work for us. So when we concentrate on the Lord's work in us, that's looking internally. That's looking at my feelings, my experiences, my own emotions, mm -hmm. and, base, and basing my fellowship with God on that. But he says, if we do that at the sake of forgetting the Lord's work for us objectively, like that, I mean, this this is so helpful to think about. If you feel, uh, as a Christian, just guilty all the time, like you can never, you never feel like God. You always feel like God's frowning at you, and you actually never feel like you're in fellowship with God. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, that's because we're looking too inwardly. We're looking mm -hmm. at ourselves too much. We're introspective to a fault, and instead, we should be looking at the at God's work for us externally. Uh, mm -hmm. His work on the cross, where He objectively died for the sins of mankind, and we can look to that and go, okay. He did that. He does love me. He died for me. And mm -hmm. so that's, I've heard it, you know, the, the great quote of for every one look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. Uh, that is a very helpful, there is a, there is definitely a place for self-examination, but we should always also finish by looking at what God has done for us. So mysticism can go wrong when it focuses too much on the Lord's work in us, not the Lord's work for us. Mm -hmm. I think that's a, a great thing to meditate on. Yeah, and this uh, this idea of basing it all off of feeling is is problematic uh, in another way. I just thought of 
Um, I, I, I've heard the question quite a bit. Um, like, how do I know I'm forgiven or I don't feel forgiven or something like that? So a lot of people base their idea of forgiveness off of if they don't feel any guilt anymore. Mm. Um, well, if you're going to base it off that, you're never going to really feel forgiven at all. Um, you're always going to have something you're looking at or feel guilty for, or something like that. And so, I mean, we should, uh, we should take that guilt and obviously confess our sins, but, uh, there is an idea of like, you don't have to necessarily feel forgiven. There is an objective type of forgiveness Uh, and different Christian traditions would, would like describe that or look at that differently, but there is still this idea of objective forgiveness that you can look to. And if you're like, Oh, I don't feel forgiven. Um, you can be like, Oh yeah, but there is this forgiveness that I received over here. That is objective, not based on my feeling. Right. So that's great. And just kind of wrapping, wrapping this up. Um, that's totally right. That's what the church is for. The church is supposed to via both word and sacrament, by word, it proclaims to you objectively outside of yourself, not just looking inward. Yeah, you see your sinfulness and your guilt, but externally mm-hmm. in the gospel, when the church proclaims the gospel, it says Christ has died for your sins and you are forgiven. If you have trust in Christ, true faith in him, then you're forgiven. And that's that word preached to you externally that confirms that. And then the sacrament is when you come around the Lord's table and you see ah, the body and the and uh the bread and the wine broken for me, the body broken for me and, and the blood shed for me. And we see that in the sacrament. And that also confirms our faith and confirms God has done this objective word for our objective thing for us. And so the word and the sacrament help us. They're ab- objective external things uh, to assure us and to strengthen us in the faith. And mm. it's a, a, a good place to end. So yeah, Lord Jones talks about mysticism what's the proper place of it we want to be tethered to scripture and the word of god uh but also not completely shirk our emotions we should uh Mm -hmm. seek to experience god and desire him and to and to have our emotions line up with the being of god but at the same time have those things tethered to god's word any final thoughts samuel um no i think that's all i got awesome yeah Well, this has been The Contemplating Christian, and uh, feel free to interact with us in the comments section, uh, support us in in any of the ways linked in in the description, and Mm -hmm. uh, we look forward to to chatting next time in the next contemplation. So God bless. God bless.